for what he's done for us. All right, if you will, uh, let's see where we go to Jeremiah chapter number seven, please. Jeremiah chapter number seven. And you'll have to excuse us. We're just a little frazzled this morning. Added a few little extra things in here we're not used to. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I was more worried about that singing this morning than I was uh, the preaching. I was a nervous wreck, amen. I felt like I did the first time I ever had to preach. I had sweat in my shoes, amen. But we uh, we got through it, and I appreciate Lydia helping us this morning. In the absence of Miss uh, Becky, that was a blessing. And I'll try not to get to talking about that, because if I do, I won't preach. I'll just squall, all right? So Jeremiah chapter number 7. Stand with us, if you will, for the reading and reverence of the Word of God. I've got uh, a longer introduction than I've got a message this morning, and so I'll trust that you'll bear with us as we uh, attempt to give you what the Lord's laid on our heart uh, for the hour. All right, Jeremiah chapter number 7, for the sake of time, I'm going to read verse number 16, and then as we preach, we'll work our way uh, through the chapter. All right, Jeremiah chapter numbers. I tell you what, let's just go ahead and read verses 1. Through 16, that way we don't have to lose the context here. All right, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse number 1. The Bible said, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. But go ye now unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early, and speaking, but ye heard not, and I called you, but ye answered not. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Therefore, pray not thou for this people. Take notice of this verse. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them. Neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. You can be seated this morning. Heavenly Father, ask Lord you touch us this morning. Give us what we stand in need of. Help us, Lord, as we look into the scriptures. 
try to preach this thought that you've laid upon our heart. Lord, as always, we have no preach, uh, preaching ability. We need the Holy Ghost of God to help us this morning. And we trust, Lord, that you will do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, a few Sundays back, it may have been Sunday before last. I don't recall uh, which Sunday that it was. Uh, but we dealt with this matter of the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan over in Luke chapter number 10. And uh, we read verses 25 through 37. And we were placing an emphasis on compassion. We looked at the priest, a, uh, one that would have been decorated. We looked at the Levite, a picture of separation. And then we looked at the Samaritan, if you will. And uh, they, we've seen that picture of devastation, one that was devastated to see uh, one that we would be looking at by context of these scriptures as a neighbor. Uh, the Bible calls this a certain man, but we know it to be that of this man's neighbor. This Samaritan was walking along down the, the road and seen this one that had been wounded and had been uh, beaten and robbed and left for dead, had his, stripped of his raiment, as the Bible tells us. And we talked about how uh, that although decoration had passed him by and that of one that was separated had passed him by, we see one that was devastated over this man's situation and because of the compassion that this individual had on this one that had been beaten, stripped of his raiment, robbed, wounded, uh, we understand that he picked him up, put him upon his beast, and took him, cared for him, uh, paid his way, if you will, done, giving himself out of the substance and the ability that he had for the benefit, for the cause of this one that was wounded and hurt and stripped of his raiment and robbed. And that was a picture of doing what you can. Amen. Uh, this 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 is this is a uh, a picture in the scripture of one that had some ability to do something and use the resources that he had been given, tapped into his personal resources and gave of himself his time, his money, uh, consideration went into this one that was indeed wounded and hurt and un unable to care for himself. So that is a picture of doing what you can. And uh, this is a picture of doing what you can, when you can, and how you can. And we see that there indeed was a time and a place and a way. Amen. There was a time and then a, uh, in a, at a particular place along come this uh, Samaritan. And this Samaritan helped in a way that he was able. And you and I ought to utilize, and we understand this morning, that we ought to utilize the resources that God has blessed us with for the furtherance of his kingdom. I believe it was Dr. Bryant mentioned this week in Revival about laying up uh, in store where moth and rust doth corrupt. And we understand that those things will do nothing for the furtherance of the kingdom. It'll do nothing to further the gospel to a lost and dying world. It's simply just pleasurable things that we're trying to lay in store upon it for ourselves. While we're here, we know that in a short while it's going to pass away. But it has no eternal effect on our future, all right? And no, it has no eternal effect on the future of others in a positive manner, but it can have an eternal effect on others in a negative manner for our lack of willingness to do what we can with what we had been given to us. So that is a picture of doing what you can. We see that. And there's the people that uh, we love and want to help, but we don't have the ability because they haven't reached the place where they want to help. We know that to be true. 
There are folk in our life that, in all honesty, we do what we can, but what we can is not enough. Right? And so we're, at least we pray that we're doing what we can, that you're doing what you can. All right? Now, sometimes I find that we act like we're doing what we can, but in all reality, we are, we're slack right there a great deal. All right? But we do find that there's some things that we can do. What we can do, we ought to do. Amen. All right? But we do know that there's some people that we love and want to help, but we don't have the ability because they haven't reached the place where they want the help. All right? This is God doing what you can't. All right? Now, a lot of times we have this attitude if it's God's will. And I'm not going to re-preach all that and go back into that. But we understand that everything that God wills is not, is not coming to pass. Right? Our salvation, we had to take part in that. Yes, it took the Lord. If it hadn't been for the Lord, we wouldn't be saved today. But if we hadn't chosen to receive Him, we wouldn't be saved today either. So there's, there's two parts to this. There's doing what we can. And then there's God doing what you cannot. Doing what he can, but doing what you cannot. That does not excuse you from doing what you can. Waiting on God to do what we cannot does not excuse us from doing what we can. I'm going somewhere. We're going to get into Jeremiah chapter 7 here in just a minute. All right, but this is God doing what you can. But this is still you doing what you can, when you can, and how you can. You say, well, but, but how can I? If, if these people are not in a place, these people that we love or care for are not in a place to where they want the help. Well, we, we want to look at prayer, if we can, for just a few minutes uh, this morning. And as you've noticed here, our key text in Jeremiah chapter number 7 is concerning that of the Lord explaining to Jeremiah that he was not to pray. Now that's an interesting thing, and it's, mis, it's miscombobulated, it's been mispreached, it's been misconstrued, it's been taken out of context, it's been used in all kinds of ways, and we've learned to know and beyond a shadow of doubt understand that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So we need to figure out what this means this morning, all right? So we understand now that there is this people that we are expecting God to do what we can't. But in doing what we can't, there's still some things that we can do. For that person that you are wanting to reach, that will not allow you to get to the place where you can reach them, you are having to expect God to do what you can't, but you cannot excuse yourself from still doing what you can. Alright? So having said that, we know that there is this matter of prayer. Can I say that when we look at this Samaritan here, we see that there was a time, there was a place, and there was a way. All right? He done what he could, when he could, and how he could. Now we're looking at this matter of one that, that we're expecting God to do what we can't. But we know that we can pray. Amen? And uh, so we know there is an appropriate way to pray. All right? So I want to look at that. How is, the, how is there an appropriate way to pray? All right? And we're leading up to this uh, thought in Jeremiah chapter 7. So bear with us for just a few minutes and we'll try to get there. But being an appropriate way to pray, we look at James chapter number 4. In verse number 2, and the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Verse 3 says you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. First John 5 and 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have of him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Now that's an amazing statement 
we find a lot of people pray that they may consume uh, whatever they're praying for upon their own lust. They're not looking at it, uh, will it glorify God? Will it, will it glorify, will it magnify his name? Will it bring uh, something to the table as far as uh, will the gospel be sent out to a lost and dying Will this affect the lost and dying crowd? Uh, what I'm praying for, will it have an eternal effect in a positive manner? A lot of times we don't pray that way. We pray that when we ask whatever we're asking, that we may receive it upon our own lust. All right? But John 5 and 14 tells us this is the confidence. You and I can have confidence this morning that if we ask anything of him, uh, according to his will, he heareth us. Right? Well, isn't it amazing that, that we read right here in Jeremiah chapter number 7 that the Lord's letting Jeremiah know that there is something he is not to pray for. So I want us to look this morning, if I can, about some things that maybe we ought to quit praying for and look at some things that we ought to start praying for. Because I feel like sometimes our prayer life gets self-centered like the rest of our life does. And uh, we talk about how we separate spiritual things from reality. How we live one way through the week and then we live another way on Sunday. And then sometimes I find uh, our prayer life gets as carnal as the rest of our life does. And when we pray, you know, we, we pray thinking that we're doing right, but it's how we're praying that's the problem. So we want to look at this for just a bit. The Bible says, this is the confidence that we have of him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So there's no doubt this morning we have confidence if we're praying in the will of the Lord, that the Lord has got his ears open and inclined to hear what it is that we have to say. I thank the Lord for that. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. All right. The key here is the desires being that of the will of the Lord. I wonder when you pray, is your desires in line with the will of the Lord? We are finding here that there was a prayer that Jeremiah was not to pray because the prayer that he was going to pray was not in the will of the Lord. And if he chose to pray it anyway, God left a clause at the bottom of this that says, I will not hear thee. In other words, Jeremiah, if you go ahead and pray what I'm telling you not to pray, I will not incline my, hear, my ear to hear what it is that you have to say. The, the, the ingredient here to successful prayer life is praying in the will of the Lord. And you'll find that that is foreign to most Christians today because they're always praying that they may consume what they receive or what they're seeking to receive upon their own lust. What pleases you? What pleases me? Sometimes it could be a family member. You'll pray a certain way because you're wanting a certain thing. Or you're asking God to keep this from happening to this individual because you care about them. Why are you doing that? Because you're looking at how you feel. You're looking at how, listen, there's some people out here, let's just be honest. There's some people that suffer things that you don't think twice about. But if your family member was suffering, suffering those same things, it would be wearing you out. Why is that? Because you have a love for them and it is affecting you emotionally. And when you pray, a lot of times you're just praying for your own feelings so, to, so that you can feel better. Look at, look at this though. Jude says in verse 20, the only chapter in Jude said, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, 
praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Listen now. And some have compassion, making a difference. We emphasized the other week that all the separation, all of the decoration, although we do not take away from dressing right and living right and being separated from this world, that without compassion, without love, we are nothing. Even the message that we bring is but a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. No one wants to hear it. Have you ever heard brass bang together? It'll drive you absolutely crazy. Can I say a lot of the things that we're saying to folks just driving them crazy today because they don't see anything different in us than they do anybody else. All right, and so as we as we emphasize, and that's why separation is important. That's why living for the Lord and trying to dedicate your life to the Lord and living different from the world is important, but it has to be coupled with that of compassion. But notice, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Building, how do you build yourself up? How do you how do you build up yourselves on your most holy faith? You build through the study of God's holy word. What is this faith? It's a holy faith. Now, notice with me, your most holy faith in this particular text and in context here is not a reference to your personal faith. This is not a reference to your personal faith. It is a reference to the faith. All right? The faith. John 17, 17 tells us that thy word is truth. This body of truth is the faith. We have our hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We have the faith. You ever heard that statement, are you in the faith? It's not talking about your personal faith. It's talk or faith in something. It's talking about faith as the whole. This body of truth that we believe in. This body of truth is faith. It's yours and it's mine and it's most holy because it is the word of God. This body of truth is faith. We build on this faith by what? By studying through learning and studying. We build up ourselves in this most holy faith. Your faith isn't most holy. The faith is holy. Amen? We're not holy. We're to be striving for holiness. Be ye holy for he is holy. And sometimes I find my faith gets weak. The Lord isn't weak. Weakness isn't holy today, friend. My God isn't weak. My God is strong. The faith is holy. Your faith may not be, but he is holy, right? And so we understand that we're building up ourselves on, uh, on our most holy Faith, that being the Lord's, the Word of God, the truth. Notice this, though, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, we're building through study of God's Word, but we're persevering by praying through God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you will, uh, decides uh, and leads us and directs us in His will. The Holy Ghost of God will not cause you or lead you to go against the Word of God. You will, the will of God will never take you contrary to God's Word. All right? And so we're building up ourselves on our most holy faith 
by, by studying the scriptures, by studying the word of God, and then we are praying in the Holy Ghost because it is the Holy Spirit which directs us according to his will. The will of God goes parallel hand in hand to the word of God and they will never contradict one another. If what's leading you to do something contrary to the scripture is being called the Holy Spirit, I suggest you go back and find out where you dropped God off and picked up the devil because you're doing what you're doing in and of your own self, not in accordance to what the Spirit of God is leading you to do. All right? So studying and praying will keep you in the love of God. You beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Or you notice it's holy faith and holy ghost. And so the Bible says, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some have compassion, making a difference. I believe we have the ingredients right here to a successful, victorious Christian life by doing two things. Building up ourselves on our most holy faith through studying his precious word. Praying in the Holy Ghost according to his will. Letting the spirit of God lead God and direct our lives. And then we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, if you'll build up your most holy faith. Uh, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. And you're praying in the Holy Ghost. Uh, you can submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil. The devil will flee. And then you're keeping yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. And then here's this, and some have compassion, making a difference. We're going to have to build up ourselves. We're going to have to build up ourselves on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And we're going to have to look for the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And as we do that, and as we live that life, and we do these things, we must have compassion, making a difference. But you won't find it being successful apart from study and from prayer. It's not possible. So prayer is how you can do what you can, when you can, and how you can. We just found out that there was this matter of the Samaritan doing what he could. But we find there's a crowd of people that we can't do anything for them. We're, it's God doing what you and I cannot do. But we must not quit doing what we can while we're waiting on him to do what we cannot. And so prayer is how you can do what you can, when you can, and how you can. So we know that there's an appropriate time to pray. We know that there is. Why? Because we understand that we're to pray without ceasing. All right? So we just seen that there's an appropriate way to pray. How do we pray? In the will of God. We pray in the Holy Ghost. Now how, and we see the appropriate way to pray, but now we need to see the appropriate time to pray. When is the appropriate time to pray? Always is the appropriate time to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. Luke 18 and 1 said and he spake a parable unto them. To this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now we know in the context of Luke chapter number 18 there was a city. And a judge was in that city which feared not God neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city who came and asked the judge to avenge her of her adversary, and he would not for a while, the Bible tells us. But because of her continual coming, he done what she asked of him because she was wearying him with her what? Consistency. All right, so now, when, when is the appropriate time to pray? Always. Always is a picture of consistency. 
We don't just pray once and drop it, but we continue to pray. And so we're understanding here that we are to pray without ceasing, not to stop. So it's not just that there's an appropriate time. The appropriate time is all the time. We should have these burdens on our heart and on our mind and be in a consistent state of going to the Lord with our problems and communicating with Him even more so than you would the person that you work with down on the job. And though the Bible says in Philippians 4 and 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. So we see that there's an appropriate way to pray in the will of God, appropriate time to pray always. We know there's an appropriate place to pray. How do we know that? Well, if 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 says pray without ceasing, then everywhere you are is to be a place of prayer. But I do want to say this. We must be careful when we consider this place of prayer not to be praying, friend, in a manner that would cause ourselves to be uplifted. Matthew 6 and 6 says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I want to say this. There's some things, friend, that we don't have to share with everybody. There's some things that we wouldn't purpose to pray in front of somebody else because it may give somebody else an understanding of some things that they're not meant to understand or know about to begin with. So we may know things and understand things and you as an adult may understand things about certain people and certain instances and certain problems that would not be appropriate for somebody else to know about. Thanksgiving to God, you go to that secret place and talk to the one who already knows about it because God's not been taken by surprise at all. God sees everything. God sees what we don't see. You're not going to surprise him. So you go into that secret place, that appropriate place to pray. All right? And, of course, the context of Matthew 6, uh, uh, chapter 6, is, is people praying and being seen of men. All right? We want the effects of the prayers seen, not the prayers themselves. Amen? We're not looking for our prayers to be seen or heard. We're looking for the effects of our silent prayers to be publicly seen. All right? And so, God, we understand here that God in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, has used a weeping prophet to preach a very bold message. Now, I don't know about you, but I, if you ever sack yourself up, you have to deal with something that's not going to be fun. And, you know, you have to sit you up tight and you have to grab that take a deep breath and deal with something that you know is going to be controversial. Most of the time you're sacking yourself up to be as tough and as rough as you humanly can be. God chose a man that had a soft, compassionate heart to bring a very bold message. But I want to say this. Your bold message doesn't have to be coupled with your uh, arrogant, bold attitude. Amen? And so having said that, God used a weeping prophet to preach a bold, mes a bold message. This, this prophet, Jeremiah, had compassion. Let me look at the definition of compassion for just a moment. Compassion is a, is suffering, a suffering with another. It is painful. This is according to 1828 Noel Webster's Dictionary. Compassion is painful sympathy. A sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortunes of another. Compassion is also defined in that same dictionary as pity. Now, pity is sympathy with grief, 
listen now, or misery of another. So when I think about compassion, it almost feels like I, when I have compassion, if I have compassion by definition of the word, I actually am suffering over the state of the one that I care about. Now we see that when we see the Samaritan walking down the road after the Levite and the priest has walked on by this man who's been robbed, tripped of his raiment, wounded, beaten, left for dead. He had compassion. Why? Compassion caused him to move physically because of something that he felt inwardly. Now I'm afraid that why a lot of us are not moving outwardly is we've not been reached inwardly. Right? And so we can't have an outward move because we've not had an inward move. And so we also, as we look in the context, and probably don't have time this morning, into Jeremiah chapter 7, this is what's being dealt with here. The house of God was being opened up, and the temple, people could come to the temple, but they weren't changing their ways, even though they were moving themselves back in towards the temple and the worship thing. Their outward person was doing different to some degree, but they hadn't stopped doing all the other things that they were supposed to stop doing. And so all they had done was added one more thing, but they hadn't subtracted anything from their life. A lot of people this morning are adding God to their life or adding church to their life or uh, church service or church membership or uh, maybe singing in the choir or leading a song or teaching a class or preaching the Bible even, friend. They've added something to their plate, but they haven't subtracted anything else away from it. And God doesn't need your addition if you're not going to do some subtraction. Amen? And so we, we consider this and we, we see that God used this weeping prophet, this one who had compassion. Compassion, friend, will cause your eyes to leak. Your eyes, friend, are connected to your heart. Can I say this? Did you know that a wolf, listen now, a wolf doesn't cry, but a sheep weeps. A sheep has tear ducts, but a wolf cannot do that. Now let's consider this, if you will. Matthew 22 says in verse 35, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now I want you to notice something. A neighbor... Isn't a brother. Now your brother might be your neighbor. But in context of the scripture. We're talking about someone that happens to be along. That you happen to run across along your way. How many of you have compassion on a family member? How many of you hurt inwardly because of something that's happened to a family member? Do you have that same compassion for your nation? Do you have that same compassion for the person that's walking down the street? Now, I'll go ahead and answer that for you. You don't. Because a lot of times I don't. Because we are not connected to them emotionally. We do not realize and think about their end. And because of that, we wouldn't have the same forethought for them that we would maybe one of our brothers or sisters. And so Jeremiah had a heart for his neighbor. And we understand that the first and, this is the first and great commandment, that you love the Lord with all your heart, with your soul, with your mind. But the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I wonder if you would be honest and ask yourself this morning, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Now, if you was in a bad state of affairs, you'd weep over your problems. 
How do you know? Because sometimes I get in a bad state of affairs and I weep over my problem. I lament over myself as good as anybody does. I feel the effects of the burdens and the problems that I bear. And so sometimes I go in my prayer closet, shut my door, and I cry to the Lord. Why? Because I'm having problems sympathizing with myself. But if we're going to have compassion on people, we're to sympathize and have pity upon their situation. That's something that you cannot manufacture, by the way. The only way to have that is to have the right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And until you get your relationship right with the Lord, you can't have the compassion for that neighbor because what what you're doing by having compassion upon your neighbor isn't something that comes natural to your flesh. So the Bible's telling us to do something supernatural that that our body isn't naturally going to do. So, unfortunately, our our idea of compassion is as carnal as our idea of happiness. Because Matthew 6, 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust is corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But born again believers are doing it every day. And they're doing it by the droves. And that's all they can think about. So if our happiness is carnal, I would imagine that the average Christian's compassion today is carnal. The Bible says praying in the Holy Ghost and, and, and praying according to his will is something we are missing today. We've got to pray in his will. We've talked about how there's an appropriate way to pray. There's an appropriate time to pray. There is an appropriate place to pray. And that is to pray always. To, to pray secretly in your private place with the Lord not to be seen of men. But to, 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 to pray uh, in the will of God. And how do we do that? We must have compassion. We must have compassion on people. But here's the problem. Because we're carnal, and because our idea of compassion is as carnal as our idea of happiness, when we pray... We pray carnally. So how do you know that we pray carnally? Well, you just ask yourself, or go back and think, think of yourself and of your prayer life, of the prayers that you have petitioned God on behalf of people that you love. You'll pray for protection. We'll have lost loved ones in the hospital. And uh, they'll be having a problem or, 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 or a surgery. or Something's going on in their life. We'll pray something sympathetic towards their problem physically and never consider their soul. We'll see marriages or, or, or relationships that are struggling. And we'll pray for sympathetically for someone's physical well-being, but we're not praying for the well-being of their soul. We're not asking the Lord. We're, we're, we're wanting the Lord to take away the consequences of their bad actions and attitudes And ask the Lord to have mercy upon them in their sin. There are are people that we have in relationships with that are living a sinful life that is anti-God. And when we pray, we will pray that the Lord would keep his hand of protection on them and not allow this to happen or not allow that to happen. Listen, that's what the weeping prophet Jeremiah was doing towards this people of God. What was he trying, what was, he, what was his heart? His heart was that they would not go into captivity. But God said, don't pray for them. 
Does that mean that if the Bible tells us and teaches us that there's an appropriate time to pray, what time is that always? Pray without ceasing. Why would God tell Jeremiah not to pray if we're to pray always? Because God wasn't telling him not to pray, period. God was telling him not to pray a certain way. God was saying not pray that they might not go into captivity. But Jeremiah, if you're going to pray, you pray that the consequences of their actions would bring them and drive them back to me. Because everything God done, God done it, that it might drive them people back to him. And it did in a roundabout way over a period of time. And guess what? The problems that you're seeing with your loved ones and your family members, it may take a period of time. But you need to pray for them in the will of God. It was not in the will of God for Jeremiah to pray that they would not be taken into captivity. God said, I will not hear you. Don't waste your time praying that way. I fear a lot of times we're praying the wrong prayers concerning the ones that we love, that we see need to move in a different direction. If you'll look at Jeremiah chapter number 7 as we're uh, trying to hurry here, the context of this chapter, the Bible said the word, verse 1, that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say. Now I want you to understand first and foremost that Jeremiah's daddy is that of Hilkiah the priest. All right? You find that in Jeremiah chapter number 1. The words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah are the priest that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Who was Hilkiah? If you'll remember we preached a message a while back out of 2 Chronicles 34 and 35 concerning that of King Josiah. And we were preaching about reformation without revelation. Moving and making a, a re, a reforming, if you will, without the word of God as your leadership and your guide. And if you'll remember, it was Hilkiah in 2 Corinthians, I mean 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and 35 that had found the book of the law. And so we found that there was reformation, that Josiah was trying to do right, but Josiah wasn't able to do right in, its, in his fullest ability without, apart from the Word of God, right? All right, and so we, we just learned we can't be in the will of God apart from studying the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will not ask us to do anything that goes against His Word. God wasn't going to want Josiah to do anything that went against his word. Josiah couldn't do what God wanted him to do to the fullest extent without the word, without the law, without the what thus saith the Lord. But it's interesting because Hilkiah uh, was the priest. And he's the one who found the book of the law. And Hilkiah is Jeremiah's daddy according to Jeremiah chapter number 1. And I want you to notice that chapters number 7, 8, 9, and 10 in the book of Jeremiah is the time frame just following the orders of King Josiah to cleanse the temple. The temple has been repaired, cleaned, and the, uh, the law found, and people are coming back unto the temple. And so the Bible says here, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. So there's a message to this people that's coming back to this temple. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. So people are coming to God's house. 
but they're not acting any different than they did before. Alright, so the Bible says, Trust ye not in lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. There's enthusiasm because of what was going on at God's house, but it was concerning the structure, Brother Shane. It wasn't concerning God or His will. You know, I find there's a lot of people that's interested in the structure. There's a lot of people care about the color of the carpet or the color of the flowers or whether or not we have a Christmas tree or whether we do this or whether we do that or whether we have this food or whether we don't have that food. And we're worried about the structure and the goings on, but they're not concerned about the will of God or what's going on in the heart. And so we find here that the Bible says, Trust you not in lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. There was enthusiasm, but it wasn't because of God, it was because of the structure. And the Bible said, if you, if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, uh, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods till you hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave you to your fathers forever and ever. You know, the Lord's wanting you to have an abundant life. The Lord's wanting me to have an abundant life. It's available to us, but we're going to have to quit worrying about the structure and start worrying about the, the inner workings. Amen. And, and so the Bible says here, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not? And come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something before I get too much further into this. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter number 34 and verse number 9, we learn that this particular text teaches us that the Levites gathered money for the temple repairs and brought it to Hilkiah the priest. Tithes were uh, of good numbers, if you will, and of abundance was given for the structure repair. You'll find there's some folk that's tithing. There's some folk that's coming to God's house. There's some folk that maybe even be faithful. But they're not right with God internally. And so they were interested in this structure. They'd given of their income. They were excited about what they were seeing. They were looking for something to happen. Matter of fact, there was a people that were coming to the house of God, Brother Shane, that for a long time had not been coming. Can I say to you, even the increase in numbers down at God's house did not mean that what was going on at God's house was pleasing unto God. A lot of people's looking for a growth in numbers, but a growth in numbers doesn't mean anything. So what we're finding here is the Bible says here, but go ye now unto my place which was in Shiloh where I set my name at the first and see what I did, did it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I speak unto you rising up early, and speaking but you heard not, and I called you but you answered not. That he's recalling them back to the time. Uh, he's calling them back to Shiloh and the tabernacle. And he's making them think of their history. And we ought to think of our history today. We look at the history of the word of God and what happened to God's people. It would spare us from a lot of problems that we're going through today. He said, therefore will I do unto this house which is called by my name wherein ye trust and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Therefore pray not thou for this people, 
neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Do not pray that these people, when you compassionately weep and preach to them, that they will not go into captivity is what we're finding to be the context. You do understand that prayer is between you and God. And it wasn't God's will for the prophet Jeremiah to pray that these people wouldn't go into captivity. Here's my burden this morning. We're trying to do what we can, when we can, and how we can. There's a people that we're limited as to what we can and how we can and when we can because they're not interested in our help. So we're relying on God to do what we cannot do. And in them relying, and when us relying to do, him, relying on him to do what we cannot do, we understand there's something we must continue to do. And when you can't do anything else, you can pray. But I'm going to tell you something. We need to quit praying with carnal prayers and start praying in the will of God. And we need to start looking at our loved ones and those that are, are hellward bound, those that are living a life. Listen to me. We've got loved ones in our lives right now that are living a life that's leading others astray. We have got others in our life that are being led astray by others in our life by the way that they live their life. You better quit praying that God would play patty cake with them and be merciful to them. And, and you better start asking God to do whatever it takes uh, to get them to the end of themselves uh, because they are being purpose, purposely living their life in a manner that's dragging other people down in the ditch and dragging other people off to hell. And they know better, but they're still living the way that they want to live. And you know what you're doing? You're getting on your knees at night and you're praying a one, two, three, repeat after me, or you're playing God. I'm praying God is great, God is good, please protect a little Billy from doing this or that. And we ought to be praying, God, would you take them and would you show them through the consequences of their actions what is needed to get them back to a place where they can be what you want them to be. Because as long as we are playing, pat and I know that's hard, I know that's hard. Listen, God's will isn't for us uh, to, to drag people off to hell by our actions. God's will is that we would love him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and magnify him. And when you and I have got loved ones that are living like hell, that are affecting other ones that we love, we better start praying that God would take the consequences of their actions and wake them up before they drag another generation off and show them that there's nothing serious about God or his word or his church. And I find that we don't do that. We don't do that. We're so sympathetic for some, not realizing that the actions that they have are, 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 are doing things that are detrimental to those that are coming along in the future. And I want you to know something, friend. When God rings their bell and God gets their attention, you won't have to pray that God holds everything together because through the consequences of their action, God will start putting things back together. You won't have to beg people to do what they don't want to do because God will cause them through his, uh, the, the actions and through the consequences of their action make them want to do what they ought to do. So here's what I'm saying. I appreciate God's mercy. God is merciful. There comes a time when the Lord looked at Jeremiah and says, you better quit praying that they don't go into captivity because I'm not going to hear you. You understand? God wanted something out of his people. God still wants something out of his people today. And it'd be good for you and for me. Listen, I question people that, that, that say they're saved, they can live like hell, and God seems like never, never 
tested by their sin. And I don't care if they say they're saved or they're not, friend. If you see somebody that day in, day out lives in their sin, and they say that they're happy in their sin, and they say that God's not bothering them, you better start questioning whether or not they got saved with the grace of God. Now, they might be lying to you. You can't tell somebody they're lost or saved, but I can tell you on the authority of God's word, if I lived in sin and the Lord did not ring my bell for it, I'd be lost as a golf-ball and high weeds. And one of the reasons I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm saved by the grace of God is I can trust that book right there, but also know every time I've ever got out of the will of God, God has dealt with me on that. And so can I say this? Maybe you've got somebody in your life, maybe you've got somebody in your family that says they're saved, says they're on their way to heaven, yet they live like hell, and it seems like nothing bothers them when they live like hell. You better start praying that God gets their attention for you. And you better quit asking for all kinds of mercy and say, God, take the consequences of their sin and do what's necessary that their soul might be saved. Because what would it profit a man that would gain the whole world and lost their own soul? The, the, the final result, the end of it all, after we pass out of this life, is what's going to matter. We'll worry about a, 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 a heartache or a pain, but we don't want God to take the consequences and drive them to their knees and make them see that if they don't get right with God, they're going to go to hell. Or drive them to their knees and let them understand the consequences of their actions going to cause a younger generation to break off and go to hell because they don't see anything severe about God or His Word. You know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to start praying in the will of God. Praying in the will of God. And I'm going to tell you something. Did you know that you can pray and ask God to help you with how you should pray for an individual? Jeremiah got his instructions not to pray from his father, God. You and I need to be praying with a compassionate, broken heart. With tears in our eyes for those that are living a wrong life. Those that are lost. But we at the same time need to pray, God help me to know how to pray. And I want you to know something. If you've got someone you love that's living a way that's taking someone else you love, and dragging them down spiritually. You better start praying that God would take this individual over here. And drive this individual to their knees for the consequences of their sin. That it might salvage this one over here that's being drugged down into the mire. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. You'll come to the piano and just play something for a moment. If you need to do business with God, I invite you to come talk to the Lord. I don't know your need. I know that through studying this, I have been convicted in my own life. I've got people in my life and my family.